Well, good morning. Uh, we've been in this series over the last 10 weeks, and we're finishing today, as Chad said, and, and um, we've titled it Kings, Queens, and Pawns. And it's been interesting as we've evaluated and looked at um, this period of time where you, you look at the book of 1 Samuel, the period of judges is coming to an end, Samuel being the last prophet, the last judge, and now the, the period of the kings come into view. God's people have now established a kingdom and, and, um, and this kingly rule that, that God's people experienced in 1 Samuel was, was prophesied. It was important. A long time ago, Abraham was, was, it was revealed to him that a king was coming. But, it, it, but it's interesting as you see the struggle in this book of 1 Samuel as God's people looked horizontally for hope. And they missed the fact that they weren't to look this way for hope. They were to look vertically for hope. They were to look to God. And, and this is one of these lessons in this book. And, and it's interesting as we've studied this over the past 10 weeks because we've seen how um, it wasn't God's will for Israel to have the king the way they, they thought. This king came into, their, in, into power, Saul came into power, and, and God's people missed the fact that their king was to live under the authority of God. And, and their king wasn't to be the ultimate ruler of their lives. Their king was to live under God's authority. And if you look at all through history as, as the kings of God's people um, ruled, those that were under God's authority were blessed. Those that rebelled against God's authority struggled. Now, this is important for us. That's an important lesson in the book of 1 Samuel. And it's one that I've prayed our church catches. Because... Um, we are a people, and we must be a people that recognize God as the authority in our lives. God is on the throne. And this is a lesson that I've prayed for us as a church, for us as a people, that we catch. Like 1 Peter 3.15 is, is an important verse that says, Peter writes, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. That we are a people who one of, we are known, we are marked by the fact that Jesus is Lord of our lives. He is our authority. And this means that every day in our lives, we don't look this way for leadership. We look this way for leadership. And this is important for us. I, I believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 because he says that, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And see, these Old Testament stories, this story of the kings, as the kings came into power, understanding this book, understanding what God is doing here, helps us. It, 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 it challenges us. It convicts us. And I want us to understand something very important, that God is our authority. God has spoken through his word. 
And because he has spoken, his word, his voice in our life trumps our culture, our feelings, our practices, our beliefs. And that's why we are a people that must live every day saying, God, we will allow your voice to be an authority in our lives. We will allow you to speak to us, and when you speak, we will move. We will allow you to move our hearts, move our lives, move our beliefs, and we need to follow you. We must do that. And we live in interesting days. And, and we can't help but, but look at the news and, and look at what's going on in our election. We're voting in about a week and a half. And this morning, in light of the book of, uh, in light of this study, in light of where God has had us, I want us to kind of wrap up this book by, by noticing some key lessons that I believe that, will pre- that, that prepare us as a church, not only just to vote, but it prepares us to share the gospel and, and influence and live in the place that God has called us during the time that he has called us. Do you know that God has called us to this nation? God's called us to live at this time, and we're the people of God, and I pray that we recognize this important truth that God is our authority, that his word is authoritative. So this morning, as we end this book and as we wrap this up, I want us to do this with our election in view, with the condition of our culture in our minds, with, with God preparing us to take our stand and to be, a, be the people of God during this time in this place, in this nation. So would you stand with me and let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 31 and, um, and let's end this book. This is the last chapter in 1 Samuel and it says this. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Mal- Malchashua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died. And his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. And the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. 
They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them. They burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. Man, when you read this, you can't help but feel the heaviness of what just happened. I mean, this is God's anointed. This is their king. This is the one that they had their hope in. They were looking to him to deliver them, and they, they had all this, this hope in Saul. And they, were, they, were, they, they trusted him, and, they, and, and, and now here they were, this battle took place, Saul's sons are dead. Saul is dead. He's dead by his own hand. I mean, it's so interesting to, to look at what happened. It's just so devastating. The kingdom is divided. There, there are people that are following David. There are people that are following Saul. It's a divided nation. It, it's, it's so, everybody is so down. You know, the, the enemies of God's people are, are pursuing them, and they're, and they're bringing all this destruction and all this pain, and it's just a terrible time when you look at this. And, and you can't help but end the book of 1 Samuel going, golly, is that where they are? And it's just disheartening. And, you know, this leader that they had chosen, this leader that they had hoped for, this leader that was promising all these things, that had won some battles, he'd done some good things. But yet, here they are, divided, defeated, and it's just terrible. Now, but in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this downer, this terrible time, you have David. David is, is this is this leader that comes, and, and it's interesting, when you, when you look at the book of 1 Samuel, you can't miss this, this message. You can't miss the message of the heart, that God looks at the heart, that God, in the midst of all that devastating time and that difficult circumstance, God looks through the actions of man, and he looks at the heart, and he raises up David. And David is this leader that, that that brings hope, that brings help, that, that brings victories. And it, it's interesting that, that God uses his word here. God uses this book to remind us that God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at our hearts. God sees you. And this is why we've got to be a people that we don't just come and do outside religious activity, but we recognize the condition of our heart. And David is this, in picture, this picture of this. You see this really clear picture of this contrast between Saul's heart and David's heart. Saul had this heart that doubted God's plan. And, and he did this with Samuel. He did this even up to his death. We see in his death that, that, David, that Saul looks at his armor bearer and says, you've got to kill me because these Philistines are coming. And in the midst of this moment, he doubted God's plan. He, all through his life, he doubted God's ability to rescue him. So what does he do? He takes his own life. 
This king that is supposed to represent the Lord, he's supposed to bring this hope, he doubts the Lord, takes his own life. It's so sad. But then you see David, his heart is different. Remember when Goliath, he faced Goliath, and, and he was like, look, um, this Philistine is coming against the armies of the living God. God's going to deliver me. See, that's how, that was David's heart. He had this heart that believed in God and that trusted the Lord. And he knew that God was living. Aren't you glad that the Lord we serve is living? He's alive. And I, I want us to see that today. You see that Saul had this heart that rebelled against God's voice. In, in chapter 28, at the end of this book, you see Saul uh, is so desperate, he, he consults the witch at Endor, this medium, this spiritual lady, and he consults her. And you see this rebellion all through his life, this, this I'm, I'm rebelling against God's voice. But in this book, as the chapter ends, as this book ends, you see uh, chapter 23 the Philistines had attacked David, and he was going to the Lord, Lord, should I do this? Should I engage in this battle? And God spoke, said yes, and David trusts the Lord. All through his life, you see him obeying the voice of God. And you see this. This is a message in the heart of David. But, but you see, most importantly, and I want us to catch this, this trust. Saul had this horizontal trust, this trust in man, this trust in his ability, this trust in, in, in what he could do. But you see David with this trust in God. God, I trust in what you can do. And David brings hope to his nation. Saul brings, brings doubt and, and despair and, and instability to his nation. Now, folks, in light of where we are in our country today, can I remind us this point number one? I want you to catch this. Write this down. Believers with obedient hearts and faithful lives produce hope and stability. See, this is what David is doing. David is this believer. He's a believer in, in God. He trusted the Lord. And because of that, all around him is, is hope and stability. Saul didn't trust the Lord, and all around him is instability and a lack of hope. Now, I, I watch the news, and I'm, I see what's going on in our country, and I think to myself, how do we get here? We are a divided nation in so many ways. And, and I'll tell you, there is a lot of despair around us, but today, can I... Can I challenge us with this book and what God is teaching us today is that we are believers. We are believers in the living God, that we don't have a horizontal hope. We have a vertical trust, a vertical hope. And I want us to see that we're believers, and we've got to be believers with obedient hearts. Believers that say, Lord, we will be quick to obey you. We will be quick to trust you. We will be a people that move when you tell us to move, that we will not look at our future and despair because God is living and God is alive and he is working in us and through us. We are believers that bring hope to a people. And all through my life and all through history, when you see believers that put God's word into practice, they bring hope to everyone around them. It's like 1 Peter 3.15. It says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. He's on the throne of our lives. And he says, 
Um, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. That when believers walk with Jesus and trust the Lord, a lost world that is not stable, that has no hope in life and in death, looks at Christians and say, I need what you have. And that's why we've got to be a church that says, Lord, we are believers with with." obedient hearts, that we live faithful lives, that our walk matches our talk. And I've talked to believers all over that are worried and they're, oh no, if, some, if so-and-so is elected to the White House, we're in trouble. Our nation's going down the tubes. If this person's elected to the White House, our nation is going down the tubes. And there's no doubt Saul was a terrible leader. But David trusted the Lord. And here's what I want you to know is that hope for the future is not in our elected officials. And we've got to recognize that. We cannot live our lives with this vertical, this horizontal trust. We're a people that say, Lord, we're looking to you. And, and I want you to know the power of God. Here's what Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Regardless of who is elected in a week and a half, God is on the throne. And the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. The Bible says that. We are a people that have already come to the realization that he's Lord. And we are called to live in this world, walking with Jesus, knowing him as Lord, and it causes the lost world to be thirsty for our Savior. When God's people live by the word of God and, and love people like we're called to love them, to serve people like we're called to serve them, it makes a difference. I read this this week from Steve Gaines, and I want you to hear this quote, and I'll put it on the screen here, that the White House cannot send revival, nor can it stop revival. Stop looking around and start looking up. The Lord is the source of your help and strength. We should be good citizens and participate in the presidential election. We should also realize that we are part of a greater kingdom than America, the kingdom of God. And folks, today is a great day for us. This is a great time for us as believers to trust the Lord, to walk with Jesus, and to pray that God uses us to send a revival in this land. Because you know what? We now have the opportunity to live in a world where it actually looks different to walk with Jesus. Now, it's always looked different to walk with Jesus but I pray we don't miss the message of the heart in the book of 1 Samuel. God's looking at our hearts. And we've got to have hearts that trust in Jesus. So can I challenge us? In light of all that's going on, let's look to him for our hope. Second thing, when you look at the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, uh, th there's an important lesson that we can't miss. I want you to turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 12 and um, look at verse 20 and 21. Now, now we, we looked at this several weeks ago, but, but I do want you to, to see this today, that, that God's people had sinned when they inaugurated Saul, when they looked to Saul. They sinned. 
And they realized it in Second Samuel, in First Samuel chapter 12. And, and they, they were like, oh no, we've messed up. And look at what Samuel says in verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. So Samuel said, I know you've disobeyed. I know you've, I know you've not done what's right. But if you start doing what's right now, God will bless you. And this has happened all through history. When God's people put his word into practice and do what he says, it produces great fruit in their lives. But when God's people reject him and rebel against him, it's always devastating. Always. And point number two, I want you to see this, is that, is that sinful and disobedient people will never produce a healthy nation. And this is why we've got to be a people that turn our face to the Lord and say, Lord, you are on the throne of our lives. You are our authority. And this is who we've got to be. And, and sin and disobedience, and this is a, a prevailing lesson in the book of 1 Samuel, that sin and disobedience never deliver what they promise, ever. And as believers, Though we are saved by the Lord, though God has washed our sins away and, and he has saved us and given us an eternal destiny, like, like Paul wrote in Romans 7, we still battle that sinful nature within us. And so we've got to turn to the Lord every day and make sure he is on the throne. Because sin and disobedience never deliver. And we've got to be a people that recognize that sin and disobedience will never produce a healthy nation. And as believers, this is a, we've got to remember, like Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And we've got to be a people that recognizes the sin in our own lives. We've got to be a people that, that recognize the sin in our culture. And we have to deal with it. And folks, we live in a culture that is, that is working hard to convince us that sin is okay. And sin is never Okay, it never produces, it never delivers. So don't buy into this. And this is a prevailing lesson in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, the bottom line for us as people, as, as, as believers, and I want us to catch this, called to this nation, called to this place, called during this time to be ambassadors for Christ, to represent Christ to the world. Can I, can I challenge us to remember that we've got to lead from our knees? We've got to lead bowing to the Lord as our authority, bowing to the Lord as, as, the, as, as on the throne, saying, Lord, we will follow you, we will trust you, but we need to be on our knees. And so today, one of the challenges for us is we're going to pray for our nation. You need to prepare for this because in our invitation, that's our invitation today is to pray for our nation. But, but I got to tell you, we, we cannot be a people that's fearful. We cannot be a people that, that, um, that is, oh no, we're, 
our leaders are, are going to fail us. No, we're a people that look to the Lord and say, God, what do you want us to do? Regardless of who's elected in a, in a week and a half, we're called to lead in this nation from our knees. We're called to pray for our, peop- for, for our nation. David taught us. David, David shows us that, that when, when bad leadership is in place, and, and like you have heard on the news, I'm not sure, like someone said uh, this week to me, this is going to be the worst president we choose regardless of what, which direction we go in the history of our nation. But you know what? David is this incredible lesson. Saul was a really bad leader. But in the midst of this, he trusted the Lord and he made a difference. And see, you look at the life of David, he worked to help Saul. So regardless of who's elected, folks, we're called to make this nation a better place and contribute to this nation. So we better be the first ones on our knees praying for our leaders, praying for who's ever in office and saying, hey, how can we help in this culture? But I'm seeing Christians going, it's time to fight. It's time to buy bullets. No, we're to lead from our knees, not from our fists. We can't miss that. David was this great example. Also, Paul wrote about this, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes this incredible challenge to Timothy. In, in Roman rule, they were, they were horrendous. They were, they were brutal. They were unjust. They were immoral. And Paul writes this, First of all, then, I urge you that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and all dignity. See, God's word moves us as a people to lead from our knees. So let's contribute. Let's, 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 not, let's not miss the fact that we're called to this nation. And let's be the people of God in this place. Now, there's one more lesson that I don't want us to miss in this book, and I can't get away from it. All, all week long as I've prayed through this, I thought, I can't, I can't escape this. As you look at this tragedy of 1 Samuel 31, and, it's all, and, and Saul had died in this terrible way, and it's like, oh, man, it's such a bad situation. It's such a bad spot. And, and, I, and it, it is incredibly sad because here you have Saul that has spent over a decade of his life pursuing David. You see, David wasn't his enemy. Saul spent a decade of his life fighting the wrong battle, fighting the wrong enemy. You know, we know about this because in 1 Samuel, there are two times that this song is referred to, that people wrote about David. They, they, they said, oh, here is uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And that made Saul mad. Saul got jealous and said, I'm going to go after David because he's killed his tens of thousands. Well, that's, that's crazy. Rather than saying, yeah, we're God's people and we killed the tens, we, we, we defeated our enemy. Saul gets mad because David was successful. And then spent a decade of his life trying to kill David. That's the wrong enemy. I mean, twice. You look in, in chapter 24. 
Saul is going to the bathroom in chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24. He's going to the bathroom in a cave. David sneaks up behind him. Um, and as he's going to the bathroom, his leaders say, hey, let's kill him. Kill him right now. David's like, no, I'm not going to kill the Lord's anointed. David cuts off an edge of his garment while he's going to the bathroom, sneaks back, and Saul comes out from going to the bathroom, and David, show, David shows up. He says, Saul, look. Here's the edge of your garment. Look at your garment. I could have killed you right then. Basically, David's saying, Saul, I'm not your enemy. And, and then another time, Saul is asleep, and all his army is asleep, and, and David and his, his captain, they, they come into this tent. Right next to Saul is his spear and his water jug. And David's captain said, I'm going to kill him. I can take his sword, and I will pin his head to the ground, and he w- I will not miss. David said, no, you can't. You can't kill the Lord's anointed. So what does he do? He takes his spear. He takes his water jug. Then he goes out, and he wakes him up. Saul, Saul. Saul says, is that you, David? Here's your spear. I could have killed you today. Saul spent a decade of his life fighting the wrong battle. Point number three that we got to catch today is this. God's people must engage the real enemy. And I pray that we don't miss that in this book. See, sometimes we think that the enemy is another believer. You know, as a church, we, um, the church of Battle Creek that just opened a campus right here in town, they're not our enemy. Life Church is having a baptism service today. They're not our enemy. Trinity Presbyterian here in Owasso, they're doing a great job. They're not our enemy. All of us do things a little differently. But see, so many times Christians begin to engage the wrong enemy, and, and, and other churches are not our enemy. You know, other believers are not our enemy. I've seen churches that are paralyzed in their ministry because they fight with one another over things like worship songs or color of carpet or, or generations can't get along. And the fact is, so many times God's people waste their life and waste their time fighting the wrong battles. And we see that in the Saul here. And, and we, we in our, even in our own church, we have Republicans and Democrats. We're not battling each other. But we live in a nation that is incredibly divided and choosing to battle one another. And as believers, we've got to make sure that we engage the right enemy. Now, the Bible helps us. God's Word speaks to this. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And as believers, we've got to recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against someone that is, it's not against a person. It's a spiritual battle that we face. 
And what I pray that we as a church, that we come together and engage together to fight the real enemy. Now, we're going to vote in a, in a few days. And I, I've already voted, and I'm not going to tell you how I voted, and I'm not going to tell you how to vote. But can I, um, can, I, can, I, can I speak to us as a church for just a minute? about the difficulties that we're facing as a nation? I'm not saying that 1 Samuel was written to describe the struggle in American politics. But I want you to know God's Word speaks to where we are today. And and we have some serious issues as a nation, most definitely. And all of us look at the news and we see what's going on and we're all like, ah, man, is this where we are? But, but let, me, let me challenge you with something as we close today. The greatest issues in our nation, and I don't, I don't want us to miss this, the greatest issues we face as a nation, it's not financial. In America, we are so wrapped up and we put so much trust in our checkbooks, in our power, in our money. That will never satisfy you. That is never a place to put your hope because all of that is, could go away in, in one day. We've seen that. And, and we have financial issues, most definitely. We have health care issues, and we have financial struggles for sure that we have to deal with as a country. But can I tell you, that's not our greatest problem. Our greatest issues that we face in our nation are moral, not financial And so as you prepare to vote, can I challenge you with something? One thing that I want you to think about. It's this idea that life matters. I want you to think about that. Life matters. And here's what I mean by that. Four things. As you go vote, can you remember that lostness is the greatest problem in our world? That the greatest need that, that you, that our neighbors have, that our nation has, that people in, in, our, in our city, in our, in our state, in our nation, in our world is the fact that a majority of people don't know Christ as Savior. We live in a community that in Owasso City Limits, there are 66 churches. But can I tell you, a majority of people that live in Owasso, Oklahoma, don't know Christ. And that's just the reality of where we live. A majority of people in our nation don't know Christ as Savior. And I'll tell you what, without Christ, there is no hope in this life, and there's definitely no hope in the life to come. So life matters. Our eternal life matters. And the way God has called us, the way God has set this up, is his plan to communicate salvation to a world is us. And this is why we've got to be a people that doesn't pull away from our world but engages the world that we live in. This is why some of you, I pray, consider running for office in, our, in a local level. Some of you need to run for office in a national level, state level. Here's what I want, don't want us to miss. As, as you go and vote, we need to send believers to Washington. We need to put believers in office because the way that God has set this up, that, that light changes darkness and that, and that light, the, 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 
the, the gospel, Christians are ambassadors for Christ, and it causes a world to be thirsty for the Lord. And so let's, let's consider this fact that, that we need to send ambassadors for Christ to office. So as you vote, think through the spiritual condition of the people you're voting for, and let's send believers into that space. And let's be a church that engages the world that we live in. We tackle the issues that we're facing. We don't run away from them. We don't stick our head in the sand, but we embrace them. And we tackle the issues. And we allow the Lord to lead us and to give us power. But lostness is our greatest problem. Don't forget that. Second thing is this. Life matters. Life begins at conception. Church family, we cannot miss the fact. Psalm, Psalm 139 clearly says that God carefully knit us together in our mother's womb. Life begins at conception. And we live in a world that in a nation that is aborting children at an alarming rate. It's a travesty, and I'm not going to bore you with statistics because they're everywhere. You can look those up. But you, we need to know where the candidates that we put into office stand on that issue. The, the, the issue of abortion is, a, is one that we need to, um, we need to fix. I'm so grateful that my when my sister was a senior in high school, she got pregnant. And I am so grateful that Skylar Parker is in my life. I am so grateful that my sister did not terminate the pregnancy of an unwed child. Because I love Skylar. He speaks three languages. He runs the regional food bank in South Oklahoma City. He's, a mission, he's been on the mission field in Spain, in, in, in Brazil. People have come to Christ through his life. He wasn't a mistake. And no child that is born, that is conceived, is a mistake. Know where your candidate stands on that issue. Life matters. Because life matters, you've got to understand this too. That... Biblical marriage is between one man and one woman, no exception. And that's something you've got to know. Biblical marriage is laid out in Scripture. And we live in a culture that is, that is working hard to move us to accept homosexuality, homosexuality, homosexual marriage. And I've got to tell you that because God is our authority, because his word is authoritative, we've got to recognize that God's word will never change on that subject. And we live in a world that's getting very creative at, at saying, well, Jesus didn't say this, and, and the Bible really doesn't say it, and the Bible really does. And to embrace a homosexual lifestyle and a homosexual marriage is stepping outside of Scripture. It is. There's no way around it. Now, we still embrace the call to serve um, and to reach out and to minister to and to love people that are homosexual. And this is a challenge we as a church, we've got to embrace. 
We've got to figure that out. But let's not be a people that buys into that pressure that the Bible permits it because the Bible just doesn't. And I have people that say, oh, well, I was born this way. I was, I, I, it was na- it's, it's how I was born. And can I tell you, this is exactly why John 3 says we must be born again. Because the fall happened and sin entered the world and, and we weren't supposed to stay the same way that we were born. The greatest need is lostness. We need to be born again. So that natural argument is an argument that just proves the fact that we need to be born again. And folks, that's, we've got to make sure we know where our candidates stand on that issue. So as you vote, consider that. Last thing, life matters. And as you vote, you need to know where your candidates stand on racial respect and reconciliation because you've got to understand this respecting races and racial reconciliation is a non-negotiable for every believer. Folks, life matters. And and, and if, if we have racism in our heart, if we look at someone of another race, another color, uh, another skin tone, and we think we are better than them because of the color of our skin, that has no place in the life of a believer. And we've got to root that out of our own hearts. And we've got to never believe that. Because we need to know where our candidates stand on real racial reconciliation and racial respect. And this is something we have to evaluate. And as you vote, we've got to make sure we are a church and we are a group of people that root that sin of racism out of our hearts. Because God didn't make a mistake when he made anybody of any color, of any race. Jesus came when he died on the cross. He died for all men. So as we vote, let's not go to the polls with this vertical trust. Excuse me, horizontal trust. Let's go to the polls looking up. God, we trust you. And God, we are a people that will come into this culture and embrace the time that we live, embrace the nation that we live, and we will represent you as a people that know you as Lord and know and live every day with him on the throne of our lives. So now we're going to have an invitation, and I want you to stand where you are. And here's what I want to ask you to do. We need to pray for our nation. And I, I mean, maybe you can't come f- forward, and that's okay. You, you pray right where you are. But some of you, I want you to come and get on your knees and pray for our nation. Folks, we have an election. We have a condition. We have a, a nation that needs us to lead from our knees. Let's start today. Let's start today looking up, not looking out. If you need Jesus today, if you, if you don't know Christ today, that's the greatest need in your life, and I plead with you, come to Jesus. Believer, let's pray for our nation right now. Lord Jesus, we come to you.